Kora from your Every Nation Southside family here in Papatoitoi, Auckland. You are now listening to a podcast from our church service and we pray that you will be blessed by it. For more information, please visit our Facebook page or feel free to contact our church office. We have a three-week series, okay, behind me here. Um, and we're starting it today. It's called Done Deal, titled Done Deal. And our focus is for us to learn uh, for the, maybe for the first time, or, or maybe even today, maybe a reminder. You may be reminded of Christ's last days here on earth. And through our human eyes, when you think about his last days, if you are familiar with his story, it wasn't a, a great thing to actually watch or to hear or to read about um, his last days. You know, Jesus, he was accused wrongfully and he was beaten for his beliefs. And God, God the Father, God as Father allowed it to happen. I mean, he was humiliated and and beaten before crowds of people. And so we'll get to talk more about that in today's time we have together. But next week we'll be looking at um, Leo. Leo will be speaking and his focus is on Jesus' time at the cross. And those who don't know in the Bible history, you know, during the time of the Roman Empire, the most horrific way of sentencing uh, people to death was to crucify them on, on a cross and for everyone to see. And so next week we'll hear more about why Jesus, you know, why would Jesus choose the cross to deal with it, to deal with our sin? And then next week, uh, sorry, the third week, uh, you know, as we finish, it'll be Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday, this is the turnaround of this whole Christian story. With all this punishment Jesus went through, you know, you and I are left with something magnificent. It's the best deal ever. You know, so you don't want to, to miss these next three weeks, these, well, next, today and the next two weeks, you know, as we lead up to Easter Sunday. And on that Easter Sunday, as um, Tyler was sharing about Pastor Bruce McDonald taking our, you know, a seminar on, on the finances, we have Pastor Bruce actually preaching for us on Easter Sunday um, here. And I'm really looking forward to having Pastor Bruce join us. This will be Pastor Bruce's first time speaking in the Every Nation Southside Church in this facility. So uh, you don't want to miss that. Like you said, you know, when he talks about the seminar on finances, you know, he's jumping up and down, you know, about the joy of money. You know, I'm jumping up and down on my bills, trying to get rid of them, you know, but it just does not happen all the time. I still love you, Lord. So that's Pastor Bruce on week three. You know, as you and I journey through these next three weeks, even today, you might go through some mixed emotions, okay? Mixed emotions of either sadness, anger, maybe some confusion to why Jesus would do this. You know, through the whole process of Jesus suffering, dying on the cross, and then coming back to life, I know we will, I know we'll find comfort that all of his actions were on purpose. And so I pray that the series will give you confidence that every part of this Jesus story is the deal that is done. It's done and dusted. And so today, part one of this three-part series is titled uh, Doubt the Blow. 
And so it's a painful path to victory. <laughs> and we are, like I said, we're, we're three Sundays away from Easter. And over, when you think about it, three, almost over three months ago, we just celebrated uh, Christmas. And many of us here have heard, you know, the story of Jesus and his birth. Uh, right in the book of Matthew in the New Testament, this is what it says. It says, Mary will give birth to a son and give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so when we think about this word sin, we tend to think of it to mean Breaking rules, lying, stealing, killing, you know, adultery, all these kind of things. Some of us may even feel guilty by sins we have committed in the past. And others, you know, you probably have some friends. I've, I've got a, still got a lot of friends like this, but they laugh off sin. You know, they think, ah, oh, man, that's old-fashioned. You're so old school, trying to live like this, live holy, you know, and they say, man, that, when, you, when you think like that, Ulu, man, that takes the fun out of life. <laughs> but it's more than that. Did you realize sin, sin destroys marriages? It cripples health, babies, births. It triggers wars and it, it, it causes horrible pain. It causes everything from things like from cancer to, to corruption. Um, it, it's the ultimate cause behind torture, bankruptcy, pollution, greed, and every other terrible experience in our world. And while we have a, you know, we, we have our good days, right? You and I. We have our good days and we have our good experiences. But the honest truth, too, we also face heartache, heartache and pain. Why is that? Well, it's all because we live in a sinful world. Before the, you know, before the first Christmas that ever happened on this earth, we read of this person that spoke about Jesus 800, about 800 years before Jesus was even born. He's back in the Old Testament Bible, and his name is, is Isaiah. Now, Isaiah, he's this well-known person that predicted, you know, a lot of things, many things about what was about to happen in the world of his time. And one of the very things he shares is about the Savior that was soon to come. 800 years? Okay. You know, but get this, it wasn't this mighty Savior that everyone expected. It was a Savior that suffered beatings and pretty much left for dead. And you read in Isaiah 52, verse 14, this is what it talks about. He says, there were many who were appalled, meaning they were horrified, they were grossed out. They were, they were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that, that of any man and his form ruined beyond human likeness. Wow. The so-called Savior. His suffering would be so severe, you wouldn't want to look at the sight of him. I, I, can't, I can't fully explain how it all works, to be honest. Um, but somehow, our sin was placed on Jesus. 
And he suffered for us so that we could be saved. And that is something difficult, even today, to get through my head around the understanding of it all. But it's just what God did for us. And you read this evidence from Isaiah, you know, sharing about the suffering Savior. And he was referring, obviously, which he didn't know, to Jesus. Over 800 years before Jesus was born, and this is what we are celebrating even this month of April. Well, almost 3,000 years now. Let me, let me paint the picture a little uh, a bit more of what Isaiah was referring to. Remember, Isaiah, he didn't know who this suffering Savior was. He had no idea. But you and I know that it's Jesus. Jesus who would become the suffering Savior. So this is how the story goes, okay, for those who don't know. During the, the time of Jesus, becoming known for his ways of teaching, he's teaching the common people. That's what they were called back then. You know, you had different kind of leadership and authority in the community, and the common people were the lowest of the low. And here he is, he's sitting and he's teaching and he's walking around with the common people and he's teaching them at that time about the laws of God. The laws of God and how to live by them. And you also had, at the same time, you had these Jewish leaders. Now these Jewish leaders, they were in the same community of where Jesus was doing his thing, but they were teaching the same thing as well. God's laws. And yet Jesus... He was actually gathering more people to him, to, you know, because of the way that he taught God's laws. He had this radical way of sharing God's laws and then how to live by them in order to have good life. The more he taught these common people, the more these people would go and listen to him and follow him and start believing in him. However, this caused the Jewish leaders to become envious. And from that, they started to hate Jesus. And so with this hate, they started to plan and put together a, a plan to actually try to kill him. And the funny thing is, these Jewish leaders, they wanted Jesus dead, right? They wanted to kill him, but they didn't have any kind of legal authority to execute him. Why is that? Because Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. He wasn't guilty for nothing. They were just jealous of his popularity, and it was affecting their business, their business of working in the synagogues. Remember, uh, if you don't know, they were in the business of teaching God's law. These certain gentlemen were in the business of it. They had no heart. They were making money off the common people by get, you know, and, and, and earning things by this thing of teaching God's law as a job. They were in the business of teaching God's law their way, and they were gaining wealth from it. But they were beginning to lose business because people were going to Jesus to listen to God's law rather than to them. And so killing Jesus, man, that was the only option. And can you see that none of these plans of, of theirs was to protect God's law. It was all political. It, it was all about keeping their business open. 
The only way they could kill Jesus was to gather people together to be these false witnesses, you know, saying that Jesus was going around the town and just claiming, you know, that he's the king of the Jews. And you hear that from time to time within Scripture about Jesus, the king of the Jews. Now, to go around saying something like that, that, you know, Jesus is the king of the Jews, in a city that was ruled by a Roman empire, man, that was a no-no. You did not do that. Because everyone knew that the only king in the whole of the Roman empire was Caesar. He was the king, no one else. And Caesar was even treated as a god. And so you, you, there was no one above this man, Caesar. And this was what the Jewish leaders, they used it against Jesus. They needed something that would hold up in the Roman court, and their best shot was to accuse Jesus of claiming that he was calling himself the king of the Jews. This lie made Jesus look bad. You know, long story short, it worked. It worked in the Jewish leader's favor. Jesus, he's falsely accused by saying that he's the king of the Jews. And I mentioned in Roman, you know, the Roman Empire that that, that was against uh, Rome's belief because Caesar, Caesar was the only king and there was no one else. And after being able to get people to be false witnesses against Jesus, the Jewish leaders, they, they believe now that they have enough evidence that Jesus should be executed for saying such a thing. And so they drag Jesus you know, to the outside of this palace, in the palace of the Roman leader in charge of Jerusalem and Judea at that, night, at that time, and his name was um, Pontius Pilate. Now Pilate, Pilate was his governor, right? And, and he was the voice of Caesar. And he was the voice on behalf of Caesar. His duty as, as a governor in, in Judea, including, you know, included collecting taxes um, from the local people, the common people, and, and just managing building projects. He also carried out the role of being this supreme judge for that area. And that meant he had the power and he had the authority to just order executions. It was up to him. So he had this quite a big responsibility of maintaining things like law and order. And apparently, Pilate, the way he would maintain this law and order, he just used brute force to maintain it if he needed to. He'd kill people. He'd, he'd, that's the way he'd manage it. <laughs> he'd torture people. And so, the Jewish leaders, they bring Jesus outside of the palace where Pilate lives, and they bring him out and they pre present, you know, um, Jesus to Pilate, and, and they're saying, you know, and, and saying the things that Jesus has been accused for. And this is what happens, Pilate, uh, when, during this meeting. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate, and Pilate asked Jesus, are you the king of Jews? Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. Now, this is where the story gets interesting. Because if you didn't know this, Pilate and the Jewish leaders, they hated each other. 
And the reason why they hated each other was because during Pilate's time as governor, as you know, of, of Judea, representing Caesar of the whole of Rome, Pilate made so many bad decisions which affected the way the Jews lived. You know, Pilate, with that though, he didn't care. Pilate, he just forced his own ways on the Jewish community, making the, making the Jews actually retaliate, causing them to march against them from time to uh, from time to time to fight for you know what they were what they would stand for God's laws, not not your laws, not Caesar's laws. Caesar's not king, Yahweh is king, so we're not gonna you know bow down to you. You know, there's uh, the history of of Pilate. He um, what he wanted to do was he started putting statues around the whole of Jerusalem in that area of Caesar, and the Jews of course saw that as idol worship. And so it said that there was, once again, they went outside of his palace, rocked up there, stood behind, 5,000 of them stood there, chanting to change this idea, to get rid of these statues. Pilate stands there and he goes, okay, let's send out some soldiers and let's just kill them. They're annoying. These soldiers go out and these Jews, they just stand there and said, same thing, doesn't matter, you can kill me but I'm not going to worship your God. I'm not here to worship Caesar. And so the pressure of that, 5,000 men ready to die for their beliefs. And that put some fear in Pilate. So Pilate, he backed off from that. That's just one example. The thing is, Pilate, he had no choice to back down um, in, in, in so many situations because for some reason, the Jews now had an upper hand on him. You know, the Jews kept threatening to report him to Rome, to Caesar, for, for you know, just having a heavy hand and sometimes just treating them, um, you know, unfairly. And so I hope you get the understanding about this relationship with each other. Pilate didn't like the Jews, and the Jews definitely didn't like Pilate. But here, these Jewish leaders now, they're in front of Pilate's house, plotting to use their power against Pilate, manipulating the situation, right, by, by saying that if Pilate doesn't do something about this Jesus guy, then we're going to go and report you, Pilate. We're going to go and report you back at Rome, and we're going to tell Caesar about you allowing Jesus to be the king. Yet Caesar is king. But guess what? The Jews, they never believed in following Caesar in the first place. The Roman Empire believed that the only king was Caesar. I said that before. But for the Jews, the only king was God. It wasn't Caesar. And so the Jewish leaders, they knew in order to kill Jesus, they lied saying Jesus was calling himself a king. And it was a ridiculous charge, and everyone knew it because the Jews, they were never loyal to Rome's beliefs in the first place. Yet, hear me now, these Jewish leaders and these Jews at that time, they were willing to change sides for a day just so they could accuse Jesus of being disloyal to Caesar. Let me be clear here. You may be sitting here, yeah, but I've, I've seen Jesus has called himself king. I've heard him, I've read it in the Bible, Ulu. Well, let me be clear here. Jesus never claimed to be 
a political king. His claims were all spiritual. And when asked if he was king of the Jews, we read here, he says, you have said so. And he could have insisted that he was the spiritual king and not a political king. Jesus could have explained himself a little bit more, right? But all he says is, you have said so. And you have Pilate and everyone else already knew what he meant with those words. In other words, you have said so really meant Jesus was saying, sure, whatever you say. And then it goes on from there. And when Jesus was accused by the chief priests and the elders, these Jewish leaders, Jesus, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, don't you hear the testimonies that they're, they're, they're accusing you of and, and bringing against you? Verse 14, but Jesus, he made no reply. Not even a single charge. And right at the end there it says, to the great amazement of the governor, of Pontius Pilate. He was amazed that this guy was not going to stand up for himself. Because Pilate knew he wasn't guilty. But as they accuse him, Jesus stands there in silence. When Pilate asks Jesus to defend himself, he says nothing. Everyone there knew the facts. They knew Jesus was innocent. He didn't need to say anything. You know what? I think Pilate was, he was taken aback a bit. He was in shock by Jesus' quiet confidence. It's like Jesus, he, he just had this powerful presence just by standing there. And even though, this is the funny thing, even though Pilate was the supreme judge, right, for that area, we're pretty much, it's clear here that Jesus, right then in that time, Jesus was the true judge. And at that time, Pilate, he was the one on trial because he had to make a decision. Knowing that Jesus was innocent. You read on that Pilate actually tried to even offer the crowd a choice. And that choice he hoped, Pilate hoped, would get him off the hook. And, the, and, and this choice was, the aim was to set Jesus free and satisfy the crowd and the Jewish leaders. And in that time, there was this festival. And that festival going on at this time, uh, it was customary as well during the festival for Pilate to release a prisoner that was chosen by the crowd. And at this time, they had this notorious prisoner named Barabbas. These were notorious. The things that he did, the history of what he did, it was, it was you'd want him dead. <laughs> Yet, they put him before, you know, they brought him in, in, in the crowd. When the, when the crowd had gathered, Pilate stands before them and he says, which one do you want me to release to you today? Do you want me to release Barabbas or Jesus? Now, Pilate knew it was out of this envious in this hate that the Jewish leaders had handed Jesus over to him. The Jewish leaders, you know what, they even persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. 
to set Barabbas free and to execute Jesus. You know, which one of the two do you want me to release to you, asked, asked uh, Pilate. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus who was called Christ, Pilate asked. And then they all said, crucify him. But why? What crime has this man committed, asked Pilate. But they just shouted louder and louder, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate's plan backfired. The crowd didn't pick, in his mind, the right guy. They chose to release this guilty man and they condemned the innocent. Verse 24. And when Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that insisted an uproar, you know, but in, that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. Man, and this is what he said I'm innocent. I'm innocent of this man's blood. And he said, This is your responsibility. It's on you. You know, even though Pilate. He knew Jesus was innocent. He released Barabbas to, to, to the crowd and, and he had Jesus whipped and he had him beaten by his Roman soldiers. And this, you got to understand, this type of, of flogging and or whipping, it wasn't something anyone wanted. The whipping was, was vicious. It would cut through a man's skin until he was shredded to the bone with agony. I was watching this documentary the other day of how they do it in certain countries around the world during this time of Easter and how um, people physically want to go get crucified. And so they do the experience of it. But at the same time, they're still alive. They just want to experience the pain that Christ went through. The thing is, you watch the, watch the documentary, there's a doctor that's following them all the way, right to the end. They wanted to experience what it was like to die like Jesus. Let me read you an example of what this flogging or this whipping may have looked like in this Roman Empire. Hear me here. Imagine yourself as one of the Roman soldiers and a Jewish prisoner is turned over to you and you strip off all his clothes in public so that he stands there completely naked, and you stare at the naked 33-year-old preacher from Nazareth. And two of your colleagues shackle his hands to a post in the ground so that his back is bent over and rounded for an easy target, and you pick up your favorite whip. It has a handle and a long leather, long leather strips with pieces of metal embedded every few inches, it is stained red with dried blood from the last time you beat a man. And you reach back so you can strike hard and, and you lash the whip on the victim's back as he jumps and he cries in pain. And you take a quick look to see how your first strike brought welts and cuts across his back. And then you change your angle so that the whip doesn't lash around to his abdomen but rips across his back like razors shredding a piece of meat. This time you've really done some damage. And your fellow soldiers, they give you a cheer for a good strike. Your adrenaline is flowing, so you hit him again and again. 
and his back is so covered with blood that you can no longer see where you've struck. You move to his legs. And when his legs are shredded and bloodied, your colleagues turn him over to whip the front of the naked man. This was the starting point of Jesus facing an ultimate form of deadly torture. There were no doctors there. There were no people to cheer him on. No one wanted anything like this. This was even before being handed his own cross to carry up the mountain to die on. And it brings me back to one of those verses that I started with today. There were many who were appalled. They were horrified. They were grossed out at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that beyond that of any man in his form, ruined beyond human likeness. You see, ladies and gentlemen, Jesus didn't have to do this. He could have defended himself and gotten out of that situation. I mean, he fed multitudes of people, you know, turning bread and and fish into a, a whole buffet line for 5,000 people. He walked on water. He raised the dead for goodness sake. So he could have easily left that courtyard and no army could have been able to stop him. He was the son of God who could call 10,000 angels from heaven to protect him if he even wanted to. Yet, he didn't do anything any of those things he suffered and he suffered quietly once again if I bring you to the attention of Isaiah the man that spoke about this Jesus 800 years before it even happened this is something else that he said he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Even during Jesus' ministry, he predicted his death. He knew what was coming, and he went voluntarily. God the Father had planned this from the beginning. And so I asked myself this question, how can I blame those who accused and tortured Jesus while knowing it was God's plan in the first place? And and this is the kind of thought that I came up with. Have you ever had someone mistreat you? Mistreat you and then found, found out that God used it for good? You know, maybe you were fired from a job, but the experience led you to an even better job. 
that happened to me. Well, I wasn't fired, but I was forced out. It's a better way of saying fired. Eh? But let me tell you, you know where that led me? It led me here. The very job, what I'm doing right now. Best thing ever. I guarantee it. I didn't know it at that time. I wouldn't go and beat up my old boss now. I've forgiven him. <laughs> Maybe you, you've only, you know, you've prayed for something and you, you knew that that is what God has promised you. And then you, and when you didn't receive that specific promise, right, later on, there's another, another whole opportunity opens up and it's a hundred times better for you. That's happened to me as well. So many times. Well, God, he used the sin and the cruelty of Christ's enemies. You know, they falsely accused him. He was whipped severely, which eventually led him to an execution, all for the sake of paying for our sin. Now, that doesn't excuse anyone's sinful motives of or behavior. You know, the Jewish leaders, Pilate, even the soldiers, you know, they were wrong for doing what they did. But God used their wrong for our good. It was a plan even before Jesus was born. And Mary will give birth to a son and give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. So as I finish here, how about you? Have you ever received a gift you could never afford? Has anyone ever sacrificed something so out there, you know, just to give to you without any strings attached? And Jesus did. Jesus suffered the whip and the cross to give you and I sinners, give us sinners salvation and eternal life. Man, Jesus, he died for all of us. He died for all sinners, from those who accused him wrongly, from the crowd who shouted, crucify him, crucify him, to Pilate who condemned him to death, even the Roman soldiers who had fun beating Jesus. No matter what we've done, Jesus was innocent but convicted. He was sinless but crucified. And he came to save sinners, including you and I. He gave his life for you. He gave his life for me. Man, he could have called 10,000 angels to stop all the pain, but he didn't. He could have silenced the lies, but he didn't. He could have avoided those questions that were thrown at him, but he didn't. And for our sake, I'm so grateful he didn't. What an amazing, suffering Savior we can and should serve today. Amen? Let's pray.